I don't know that I've ever stood up and preached after something like that. If you'll stand with me. It's Father's Day. We have fun in church. Amen. By the way, that was a group of pastors, four pastors from Willie George's church in Oklahoma. And, and that thing has gone viral. It's a blessing. It's funny. It's good to have all of you. I'm going to wrap up today our series on God's unsung heroes, the unsung heroes of the Bible. I want to close it out talking to you about a man that you may not have ever heard a message on or not very many, that's for sure. His name is Enoch. Enoch is a hero because he walked with God in completely depraved, immoral, and backslidden age that was about to come under the judgment of God, but he decided he was going to walk with God. I want to read an amazing passage about him. Hebrews 11 verse 5, and it's right up here. Now read the first six words with me out loud, would you? By faith, Enoch was taken away. What in the world does that mean? Well, look what it says. So that he did not see death. He's one of two men in the Old Testament that never had a funeral. That's what it says. Now look what happened. And he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Father, thank you for your word today. And we pray that you will bless it. Help us, Lord, the men in this church and as well as the ladies to walk with you like Enoch did. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Now, before you're seated, let me say the children are in with us. They're in here and the children are welcome. Glad to have them with us. But please keep them under control. If they start to get up and walk around, seat them or take them out and minister to them. And then bring them back in. But just remember, there are people that have driven a long way to, to hear the Word of God, and we're also being recorded for radio. So I appreciate your understanding of that. And turn to your neighbor and tell them, this is going to be good. You better listen. Now, uh, the Bible says amazing things without blinking. We're told here about a man that was taken away by God so that he did not see death. This man, Enoch, did not die. He never had a funeral. There's two men in the Old Testament that never had a funeral, Enoch and Elijah. Now, usually you'll hear a message on Elijah, but not Enoch. But in light, in such, a, in light of such an incredible life, it's interesting that the Bible only gives us 10 verses on this man, 10 passages in the Old and the New Testament on this man Enoch. But those 10 verses are packed with amazing statements. Now, while many heroes of the faith were martyrs, Enoch and Elijah never had a funeral. They completely escaped death's clutches. And they are really an example for us of what God is going to do with his church one day. So I want you to really pay attention to this because we see here that God is able to take somebody off the planet without their ever having died. Now, what made Enoch so special? I want to know that God snatched him off the planet. What made him so special? That God essentially looked down and said, I like him so much, I want him up here with me. 
What made him so special? Well, we're given a hint in Hebrews 11.5, the verse we read, and it's this, he pleased God. Three simple words. Can you say it with me? He pleased God. We're going to read that it really actually it was his faith that pleased God. But Enoch walked with God in such a way that his faith translated into a lifestyle that pleased God. Now, when I look at some of the Bible greats, I see that Moses was marked by his meekness. He was known for meekness. It says Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. That doesn't mean he was weak. Weak is not meek. Meek means submitted to God. He was submitted to God and walked with God through anything God asked him to. That's meekness. He wasn't weak. He was meek. Samson was known for his incredible strength, and he was the he-man with the she-weakness. Daniel was known for fearlessness in the lion's den, and he didn't care that they saw him praying in the window, and he was going to be persecuted for it. He still stood up for God when everybody else was cowering, known for his fearlessness. Ezekiel is known for his incredible visions, the wheel within a wheel, and all the things you see in the book of Ezekiel. And then Paul is known for his passion for souls and the fact that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit two-thirds of the New Testament. John's remembered for the book of Revelation. What an amazing book. I just went through it in my own personal devotions again in the mornings, and it just leaped at me and spoke to me. John's revelation. But Enoch's career is distinguished by pleasing God and defying death little bit of history uh, relating to Enoch's day. Now, Enoch lived in the days before Noah's flood. Very important. We call it the antediluvian age. Before the great flood covered the earth, and it did, archaeologists now have discovered all kinds of evidences that it happened. Before the, no the flood that Noah had prepared for, Enoch lived. Now, that time period, there's a reason God sent the flood. He sent the flood because of the exceeding wickedness of the antediluvian age. This was an age where the Bible tells us in Genesis that the world was filled with violence. The earth was filled with violence. As man distances himself from God, violence always fills the vacuum. Man without God is a violent creature. And so violence filled the earth, the Bible says. And the Bible also says that it was a time that, that God looked down and was actually sorry that he had made man. He was sorry. And the Bible further records that when the Lord looked down on earth, he observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And here's how bad it was. He saw that everything people thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. From adults to children, what men thought about, imagined in their minds, was consistently, there was not a righteous thought was entering into the minds of men. They were consistently evil. Man was completely depraved. I used to wonder how that could happen. I couldn't imagine how it could be so universal, the wickedness could be so universal in its scope that, that not a righteous thought could enter the mind of men until I look at our day today and I'm watching the moral spiral as the West seems to be spiraling into further and further depravity 
When you put God out, not only does violence come in, but rampant, deep, depraved immorality takes root. Because we will have a God. We will have a God. And if our God is not God, we often make sensuality. We make wickedness. We make evil, violence, our, our God. We crown something God, and I can see that it's the, the evil that is leavening the West right now is moving way down into junior high and, and elementary school age children where they are being now indoctrinated by a secular culture in things that I never even knew about until much later in life. God help our children in our schools. It had reached the point where God would soon judge the entire earth. He said, I'm going to judge the entire earth with a great flood. And he spoke to a man named Noah. And he said, Noah, I want you to begin to build a boat, an ark, three stories high. Here's the measurements. I want you to do it because even though it's never rained on the earth, because the Bible says a mist had come up from the earth and watered the earth, and there had never been a rain cloud and rain had never fallen prior to Noah's day. The earth had been watered by a mist. And the environment was such that men did not age like they do in the current environment. Apparently UV rays from the sun did not get through like they do now. And the ozone was perhaps much thicker. I don't really know. I know that men live much longer than they do now. Because when man fell and sin entered the human race, the lifespan of men began to decline. But in Noah's day and Adam's day, they lived 800, 900 years. Enoch lived, lived 365 years before he was taken. The book of Genesis paints a brief biographical sketch of Enoch. And I want you to listen to this because here he is living in this deeply dark hour, backslidden hour, depraved hour. God's about to send judgment. But it says about Enoch, Genesis 5, 21 through 24, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 more years and had other sons and daughters, and altogether Enoch lived 365 years. And then it says in verse 24, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. He was there one second, the next second he was gone. God took him. What an amazing passage. Now when the Bible says he was no more because God took him away, it doesn't mean that God changed his earthly address. He didn't move him from one state to another, from one geographical location to another. The word took means that God suddenly interrupted Enoch's life, interrupted his activity, caught him up into heaven, and he was gone just like that. Search parties could not find him. We read in the Bible, it says they looked for him. They could not find him. He could not be found, the scripture says. Local authorities were baffled. He had family. He had children. He had neighbors. He had friends. He'd been on the earth 365 years, and suddenly he's gone. Nobody can find this man. He seemingly vanished into thin air. Wife, children, friends could not locate his whereabouts. He had not said one thing when he left that day. No clue, but God knew. Enoch had experienced an instant translation like a flash of lightning. He was gone. 
first raptured man. Now, Enoch's experience perfectly resembles what Paul describes in the New Testament as being imminent for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget, this happened to Enoch and then Elijah, when he was raptured up, was taken up while Elisha, his protege, watched him. He was taken up and he was gone. Two men raptured as if God was wanting us to have an idea of what was going to happen one day to millions of people who are a part of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. Listen to what Paul wrote. Listen, I tell you a mystery, he says. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a moment. The Greek word for moment there is atomos. It's where we get the word atom. It means a moment of time that you can't split. In a moment of time, in a flash, in a blink, in a camera flash. At the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, the dead will be raised out of the grave, and we who are alive and remain, yet know Christ, shall be caught up together, just like Enoch was caught up, into the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Paul said we will be changed in a moment, changed, translated, caught up. And Christ said, you don't know the day or the hour. I will come like a thief in the night. When men are saying peace and safety, then sudden calamity will come upon them. And he said, I'm going to come like a thief. You don't know when a thief is coming or when he's left. He comes through the back door. He comes unexpectedly. He takes something and he's gone before people realize it. That's how Christ will come. And like Enoch and like Elijah, the church will be raptured out in a flash. The story of Enoch is a type. It's a foreshadowing of future events reserved for the last days. And so we have in Enoch a man that loved God and who was a father of some great children, chief among them being Methuselah, his firstborn. Remember that name. We have in Enoch a man who walked with God, became so close, so intimate, so vivid. His walk was so real that God took him off the planet as a picture. And he took him off the planet as the first raptured man. Now let me trace his life a minute because how did, how did his life lead up to this moment? This dramatic, incredible, unprecedented moment. This had never happened to a man, to anyone. It was a first. It was a prototype. Let's look at him first. When I look at the life of Enoch, I see that he was a man who changed for God. Now, I'm talking to the men here today, women too, of course, but I want to zero in on the men because it's Father's Day. I want you to listen, sir. If you're a dad, if you're not a dad, that's all right. I want to talk to the men. Enoch changed for God. Let's read the passage again. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Now catch this with me. Something dramatic happened when Enoch was 65 years old. Some defining moment rocked his world. Something got his attention. A great change took place because we don't read of him walking with God before he was 65. The Bible makes a point of saying 
at 65 when Methuselah was born. He suddenly began to walk with God. For 300 years, he walked with God. What was it about the birth of Methuselah that caused him to say, it's time for me to walk with God? What was the defining moment? What changed him? The Bible connects his change with the birth of Methuselah. What was it about Methuselah that made him say, time to do it, time to walk with God? The mystery is found in the name, Methuselah. The mystery is found in the name. Methuselah's name means this, catch this, quote, in the year of his death, it shall come. In the year of my son's death, it shall come. What in the world was the it? Here he is. He's about to name this boy. God speaks to him and says, you call him Methuselah. In the year of his birth, in the time that he dies, when he dies, it shall come. Well, we know now what the it was. The it was Noah's flood. It was when God was going to judge the entire world. Get this. God had told Enoch that the life of this special child would literally be the hourglass that counted down the years remaining for planet Earth prior to God's judgment. You better pray he lives a long time. You better pray he really lasts. You better feed him good. Make sure he exercises, eats his Cheerios. We want this guy living as long as he can because when he dies, it shall come. Adam lived 930 years. Seth lived 912 years. But Methuselah lived 969 years, longer than any person in history, which to me speaks of the mercy of God. God was waiting for everybody and anybody to hear the word of God. Because see, in the meantime, as Methuselah lived, he had a grandson named Noah. And his grandson Noah was building the ark. So you had two men who were witnessing of the approaching judgment. One Methuselah testifying by his life. When I die, it shall come. Noah building the ark, preparing for the day that it came. We know that Noah preached for 110 years to his generation. And he warned them. Peter tells us he was a preacher of righteousness. He warned them, he called them to repentance, and he said, if you'll just get into this ark with me and my family, you will be saved when the judgment comes. The ark was a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ark of the new covenant. And we say to people today, just get in Jesus, get into Jesus while the door is open, get into Jesus while the door is open, come to him while the door is open, make good on the day of grace because the day will come when the door is shut. That's exactly what happened in Noah's time. The Bible tells us that when you add up the ages of Methuselah's offspring, that he died just before the great flood. Some scholars take it as close as seven days before the flood, Methuselah died. And do you know that when Methuselah died, God told Noah's family, get into the ark. But the door didn't shut. They sat in that ark for seven days. We call it the seven days of God's final grace in the antediluvian age. God gave people seven days. They had heard Noah for 110 years, preaching of judgment coming, preaching of getting into the ark, 
preaching and telling them, you better hear me. A judgment is coming. You better get into this boat. You better get in. I know we're on dry land, but it's not always going to be that way. A cataclysm is coming. And so when Methuselah died, God told Noah and his family, get into the ark. And they sat in that ark for seven days, but the door was not shut. It was like God was saying, you've heard them for 110 years preaching about judgment. You've heard them for 110 years encouraging you to get right with me. Now you see they're in the boat. And so you better take that as a cue because you've also seen animals supernaturally drawn to this boat. I've given you a sign. I've given you a picture. I've shown you something that doesn't happen normally. Lions, bears, leopards, cheetahs, monkeys, birds, coming supernaturally to the door of this ark and walking in. How much more of a sign do you need? You've seen them one after another after another loading up this ark and now the family has gone in and God gave them seven more days. And the Bible says when seven days were up, God himself shut that door and the ark closed and the rain began to fall and as the waters rose and that ark began to be buoyed up by the water they were pounding on the door pounding on the ark climbing trees climbing the highest mountains but nothing kept them from the encroaching rising water there was a day when it was too late and there's going to be a day when it's too late for every human being listening to my voice The Bible says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everybody who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, Enoch was a sign. Methuselah, his son, was a sign. Noah was a sign. And God was talking to that generation. So he changed for God. When he realized God's about to send judgment, he said, i got to get right with God. I've got to walk with God. And so it makes sense to me that when Methuselah was born, Enoch began to walk with God. He changed for God. Can I tell you, sir, if ever there was a time to decide to walk with God, it is now. It's today. Don't wait. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says today is the acceptable hour. Now is the appointed time. Don't wait. Like that whole generation waited and they missed God. They missed his rescue, but not Enoch. Enoch knew what was coming, and he walked with God. And now, not only was he changed for God, but he aimed for God. Catch this. From this moment forward, Enoch intentionally directed his life toward God. Hebrews 11.5 tells us, before he was taken, he was commended as one that pleased God. Now, it's about to describe the way he viewed life and the way he viewed God. The very next verse, after talking about Enoch, Hebrews 11, 5 and 6, it says, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That verse 6 is a commentary on Enoch's belief system. He said, I know not only is cataclysmic judgment coming, But I believe this about God, that if I believe that he's there and I believe he rewards those who seek him, that motivates me to live for him. You know, you can live for him out of fear or you can live for him out of faith and anticipation that God is going to do something good in your life. 
Enoch said, I've got several reasons to walk with God. One, I don't want to be caught in the judgment. Two, I know that if I really aim for him, if I make God my aim, if I wake up in the morning and say, this is a great day to seek God. I'm not going to go after money. I'm not going to go after fame. I'm not going to go after success. Not primarily. I'm going to make my primary pursuit in life God. I'm going to aim for God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going after God. I'm going to chase God. He's going to become my target, my bullseye, my passion. Oh, I love that because everybody in this room is chasing something primarily in your life. I promise you, every heart in here and every heart listening by radio has a treasure. Your treasure decides your pursuit. Your pursuit decides where you spend your time, where you spend your money, where you spend your affections. Some people wake up and say, well, it's a great day to chase that money. Some people wake up today and say, it's a great day to chase that sin that I have just really fallen in love with. It's a great day to get up and go after this or that or the other. Enoch woke up and said, Lord, I'm, I'm going to chase after you. You're going to be my aim. You are my passion. You are my pursuit. So my money's going towards you. My affections are going towards you. My time is primarily going to be given to you. You're going to get the first of my time. Let me ask you men here today, what is your target? What are you aiming at? What are you pursuing? What is your primary passion? When you think about your future, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, how much of it involves God? How much of it involves having lived for him, honoring him, seeking him, living for him, desiring him, pursuing him? Think about it. And as you think about it, think of this. How are you spending your money? When you look at your checkbook, how much of it went to God? Jesus talked about a man in the Bible. He's called the rich man, the rich fool. This man was a multimillionaire in his day. We might even call him the Donald Trump of his day. He had granaries, and these granaries were filled with grain, filled with seed. He was running over with monetary, materialistic success. He was the talk of the town. If he lived today, he would have been on the front cover of Time magazine as one of our great success stories. He would have been on Forbes' richest list. But one day he said something to himself. He said, you have stored up all this money, all this great. It's time to cash in and live off of your 401k and enjoy life. Go to Hawaii, have a good time. Get that gold watch. Take advantage of everything you've earned. You deserve it today. You deserve to retire and have a great life. But it says, that night, his soul was required of him and he died. And for the first time in the Bible, Jesus called somebody a fool. He said, you lived a fool's life. You lived a fool's life. Because you were rich towards yourself, but you were not rich toward God. You didn't give him any of your time, any of what he gave you monetarily or materially. You did not give him your soul. You did not give him yourself. And so now, having hoarded up all of these things, you can't take one seed of grain with you. And when you step into eternity, 
You're going to have to say to God, I wasn't rich toward you at all. Didn't acknowledge you, didn't live for you, didn't pursue you, didn't love you. That wasn't Enoch. Enoch said, I've changed for God and now I'm going to aim for God. I'm going to live for God. Sir, I tell you today, I have been at many, many bedsides where somebody was passing from this world. I have presided over many funerals. I have never had a person say to me, man, I wish I had not lived so much for God. I've never had them say that to me. I have had them say, I wish I'd come to him sooner. I wish I'd hurt him sooner. I wish I'd given him more because your life passes by in a flash. You're young now, perhaps, 20 years old, 25, 30-ish. Let me tell you, it's going to speed by in decades. You're 30 now. You're going to wake up tomorrow and go, I can't believe I'm 40. And then you're going you're gonna to just go a little bit longer and, and, and one day wake up and somebody's going to be singing happy birthday to you. And you're going to, I can't believe I'm 50. Is that real? Somebody pinch me and wake me up. And then before you know it, you're going to wake up one day and, and realize you're 60 and life has passed you by. It goes by in a flash. You live the weeks and the months and the years. The older you get, the faster they go by. And then you, you start asking yourself, have I been rich toward God? Or have I lived for me? I want to encourage you today. Allow God to change you. And then allow God to aim you towards him. Allow God to aim you towards him. Enoch believed this was the most fulfilling life available on earth. And the Bible completely confirms that he was right. Enoch was changed by God and Enoch aimed for God. And then the Bible says Enoch proclaimed for God. He said, you know, this walk with God is so good. I have been so blessed. I cannot keep it to myself. You know, when you find a good thing, you can't keep your mouth shut. Have you ever noticed that? Now I'm going to make a confession to you. I cycle, you know, and, and here's the way I talk myself into going further than I might normally feel like going. I say, if you'll just go this many miles, I will allow you to go to Brahms. As soon as you're done. And my habit has been to go to Brahms, and here's what I have always done. I go to Brahms, and I drive up, and I order sherbet. I order lime and orange sherbet. There's something about lime and orange sherbet when you've been in 100 degrees, and you've gone about 10, 20, 30 miles on a bike, that it just feels like you deserve it right then and there. And, and it's like you have found a little piece of heaven. But recently, I drove into Brahms, sweating like a dog. I've gone a lot of miles. And I saw an advertisement for a new kind of sherbet. Grape. Grape. Oh, no. Some of you winced. Oh, you won't wince when I'm done. Grape sherbet. I said, grape, it must be new. Do I change and try something a little bit different? Well, I'm going to try it. I ordered two dips of grape sherbet. Before I got out of the parking lot, I heard harps playing. <laughs> oh man, this was like a major discovery. And, 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 and I, was, I, was, I was creating my own hymn. I was singing, how great thou art. Grape sherbet, it just rang every bell that could be rung. It was like, where have you been all my life? And you know what I did? I drove out of there. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I had two dips in this, this waffle cone. And, and it was so good, 
so irresistible, so unforgettable. I was already thinking, where is the next Brahms down the road? And I, re- I remembered there's a Brahms right by our house. So I ate those two dips and I pulled right in again. And I ordered more. And it was this incredible. Now, already, some of you are salivating a little bit. You're thinking, wow, well, where's the nearest Brahms towards me? Brahms owes me for this message. Because I pulled in, and I'm being honest with you, I ordered two more dips, and I ordered a pint with it. Because I was sold on this stuff. Now, do you notice how, when you like something, you can tell about it? See, I'm leading you into a realization. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you come to know the Lord Jesus and his peace that fills your heart and the love of the Lord that's poured out in your heart by the Holy Ghost, and isn't it great to be at peace in a troubled world? Isn't it great to wake up in the morning and have the word of God drop down onto your soul like dew on the grass? Isn't it just beautiful to know that you are right with him and you are headed to heaven and all the sin issues are settled and he took your sin and he took your judgment and now you are the righteousness of God in him? Isn't it great to know that you've been adopted into a brand new family and that you are a child of God and no longer a child of the devil? Isn't it great to know that he is your beloved and, and, and you are his? And isn't it great to know that you're going to live in eternity in bliss with no sickness, no disease, no heart trouble, none of that stuff because of the goodness. Isn't it great to know? And can't you go out and tell somebody? See, I'm convinced that people don't understand what I'm saying, have never tasted of it. Because all it took for me was just an encounter with God's wonderful Holy Spirit. And I was sold for life. There's nothing better than being filled with that Spirit and walking in fellowship with Him. And that's what Enoch came to. He said, I've changed for Him and I've aimed for Him. But now I've discovered having aimed for Him, He's so good. I've got to proclaim for Him. I can't keep it quiet. He's better than grape sherbet. He's better than the best thing you know of on this planet. He's better. So good and so powerful was his proclamation, he literally prophesied of the coming again of Jesus Christ, having lived centuries before the flood. It says, Enoch, in Jude 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his saints. He's prophesying the second coming of Jesus Christ millennia before Jesus came. Say with me, Enoch changed for God. He aimed for God. He proclaimed for God. If I could have a prayer over the men in this church, and I'm going to in just a moment, wouldn't that be great to have on your tombstone as your epitaph right there? He he was changed for God. He aimed for God. He proclaimed for God. That to me is a life well lived. Think with me right as we close. One day, Enoch got up just like any other day. Maybe he kissed his wife goodbye on his way out the door. Told her he'd be back for dinner. Maybe he said something to his children. 
He proceeded down the same path he'd walked so many times before. Here's what we know he was thinking. God exists, and I believe he rewards those that diligently aim for him. So what can I do today to get closer to you, Lord, to please you, to proclaim for you? And he thought, and as he thought and as he walked, he took his last step on earth. When he lifted up his foot, he was on earth. When he went to put it back down, boom, he's with God translated. Gone. If we could see a video of it, we've seen them. Somebody's walking down a path and they disappear. Walking down a path and they disappear. That's what happened to him. Millions of believers one day will be going about their business. Gone. Don't you want to meet him and be able to say, Lord, I changed for you. I aimed for you. I proclaimed for you. I was faithful. Can we stand together today? And I'm going to ask Pastor Ray to come up here and help me with this. And he's going to read to you a resolution from the movie Courageous that we showed last Friday night. And it was a great movie. And at the end of the movie, the man, um, the primary character, lead character in the movie, uh, presented to his own church and to the men in his church a resolution. And Pastor Ray's going to read it to you, and then I'm going to ask you men, well, why don't you just begin to come down now? Men, dads, you dads, come down now. All the dads in the house today. 